First of all, I'd like to say welcome everybody here this morning. Appreciate the opportunity to stand before you this morning and, and speak to you. I hope the things that, that I've studied and tried to put together will be edifying for you. I know that I've enjoyed the study, and I hope you can too. Me as a person, I, I truly enjoy history. I, I really enjoy ancient history. And the, we were having a, a discussion, I guess it was the elders and the deacons, and we were all together, and Mark Hayes mentioned the, the Tower of Babel, and that's, well, there it is. The... You know, that's, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and I told him, he, he made a statement about it, and I looked at him, from, and I, well, actually I was sitting behind him, I said, Mark, I said, there's a good lesson in there somewhere. And as we went on, I, I, I told him later, I said, are you going to capitalize on that, what you just said? And he said, no, I'm, I'm, I don't think I will, but you feel free to do it. And, and that's what sparked this. And it was funny as I was thinking about it, I like to watch documentaries. I like to watch historical shows. And I just kept seeing over and over these things about some of them were about Babel, and some of them were about uh, just the, the flood in general and things that happened there. But it was funny how it all came together. But I want to talk about the Tower of Babel this morning because, first of all, we talk about apologetics, and I don't like to use that word because I don't think God's word has to apologize for anything. And I know that's not what it means, but that's what it puts in my mind. And obviously, apologetics are just proofs that the Bible is true. So if you're going to talk about apologetics, you're going to talk about things that prove that the Bible is true. But, you know, that's what I got to thinking about. You know, I, I, I doubt Jay Henderson probably remembers this. But I was probably a maybe 7th, 8th grader. And we were walking through Carlsbad Caverns. We were all traveling as a group of young people. And Jay was with us. And I, you know, I had been in school. And you know what they teach you in science class? The earth is, a million, is at that time, I think, 65 million years old. And I was walking through the caverns. And I was buying all the stuff hook, line, and sinker. And I said, you know, it's amazing that this thing's been around for millions of years. And Jay just flippantly off the cuff, he said, well, really, it's just about six to 10,000 years old if you go according to what the Bible says. And I mean, that just blew my mind. You know, and, and, and I want to talk to the young people because you are uh, in a lot of ways, because they're going to tell you things like King David didn't exist, that there's no proof in the, in the historical record that King David existed, that the Jews were never enslaved in, in Egypt because there's no evidence, and on and on and on. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, if you want to dig it out, it's there. The fact is, they do their best to disseminate that information out to you without the proof that God is there. And that is the whole thing, and that's what, I guess that's why I said and I scream inside my head when I, I love these documentaries, but I hate these documentaries and, and these historical things because they're sitting there and their whole business is to disprove God when their answers would be just so easy if they would look to the truths of the Bible to explain those things. And as we look at Babel, first of all, with a little bit of, uh, well, let's just go ahead and, and uh, pick it up there. Uh, in verse, uh, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, I will be reading and, and uh, speaking from the King James, uh, just so you'll know. It says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And, as it came to, and it came to pass, as they journeyed to the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. 
and they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto the heavens, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the, earth, of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people, are, or the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off the building of the city. Therefore, this, therefore is the name called Babel, because the Lord did confound the languages of all the earth, and from, hence, from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So as we set up this story, this is some roughly 148 years after the flood. So Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and, and Noah and their families have gotten off the boat. They've, they've started the process of rebuilding humanity. And along comes a guy that we didn't read about him, but this later on, a man by the name of Nimrod. Now, you're not going to find that name in history. What you're going to find is a man by the name of Sargon the Great or the first king of the Akkadian Empire. That's more than likely who Nimrod was. But that's the historical name. And he was known as the first great empire builder in history. And he began to build this empire that the Bible tells us about in Babel. And he begins to build it. Uh, basically, the Akkadians, if you're wondering about that, they're the pre-Babylonians or the the Neo-Assyrian Empire, if you want to sound all cool and everything when you're talking about it. But basically, they're the, the ancestors of the Babylonians. And that's where they're going to come from. And, and when you look at this, when you go back in the history, they were. They were building a massive, what you'd call a ziggurat or a pyramid, which is a Babylonian pyramid. And that's what they were starting off to build, and the base is there. And, and when you go in history and you begin to look, there's seven different, seven, seven different Babel locations. But when you get to looking around, the only one that fits the criteria, as most people agree, is the Iridu city in southeastern Mesopotamia. And there's actually a big base there where they started it. And, and that city, amazingly enough, sometime around 2200, according to the guys that don't like to, to look into the Bible and the dates and that, and they will say that city ceased to exist. Everybody just left, and it was done. And it's funny, that was the end of the Akkadian Empire, or King Sargon the Great's rule, was right around 2200. So, obviously, that was when the languages were confounded. And, you know, the nations were all of one language. And there was nothing that, uh, no barriers that they had to overcome. And they wanted to build that tower. One thing is you, as we get into that, they can track how Babel expanded from where it was. When the languages were confounded, they can track it through what they call archaeological markers, which is basically they use pottery, and it's called a bevel rim bowl. And if you look through history, you can see how that expanded. They called it the Uruk expansion, if you want to look into it and you can read about it. But it began to radiate out from there, and they began to find this bevel-rimmed pottery further and further away. And... Uh, 
Also, what, what, what was a neat thing when I looked at it, it, to show that, you know, God's hand was in it in the way that he dispersed those people and the way that he pushed that out. And people began to go. Most of the cities in the Uruk expansion are either built on virgin soil where there is no other uh, village or town that's ever been established. They either destroyed and took over a town or they settled on the outskirts of a town. And all that being because their languages were confounded. And, in, and, and as I, I went through that, and those things just slapped me in the face like a sledgehammer. You know, the fact is, they didn't integrate because they couldn't conversate. They couldn't talk to each other. They had to go attack this place if they wanted to live there because they couldn't communicate with each other. And these guys are sitting here going, we just don't understand how this can happen. And, they're, and like I said, I'm standing there screaming in my mind going, it's God, man. It's God. Just look to the Bible. The answer's there. And you know, that's, that's why I like to, to do these kind of lessons because of the fact that to me, it's faith building and it builds up the faith, my faith. Maybe it's not your favorite, but it builds my faith up to know that science and the Bible do get along and they do coincide as long as we don't bring an agenda to it as a, as a scientist or, or however we're wanting to look at it. But ultimately, as that story goes, God confounded their language because of the fact they were relying more on him than, on, on themselves than, than on him. And he decided it was time for man to, to disperse and for the language to, languages to be confounded. And he did so. So I tell you that story and I talk about apologetics and I talk about approving uh, God's truths and his words through archaeology and history and all that, not because I put a great faith in archaeologists or anything like that, but as I said, it builds my faith. But as we tell that story, I'm sure you're thinking, that's all fine and good, but how does the Tower of Babel apply to me? And I just want to look at that for a little while this morning, just as, as we remember the story and, and what God did there and, and how that, that what God wanted in... in, in what he thought of came to pass. I want us just to remember that story. The first point I want us to look at and that we take from the Tower of Babel is when we are united as one, we're powerful. You know, that's exactly what God said when he came down and he saw Babel. He said, look, he said, they're all of the same languages and nothing will be held back from them because they're united as one, because they set out. And I want you to remember, these guys didn't have the hydraulic cylinder. They didn't have hydraulic power as we know it. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have electrical saws. They didn't have all the things that we have. They did it with a hammer and a chisel and ancient cranes that they had built. They had the knowledge. They just didn't always have the tools that we had. But that's what God was saying. When they were together, there was nothing that was going to be kept from them. And I want us to look at that this morning. When, what if we are totally, utterly united together as a church? Think about that for a moment. If we all were united 100% behind the Bible, not a man, the Bible, the truths of God, and the things that he has to say in this book, what if we were totally united? There would be nothing that could stop us, right? Because we would all be of one mind. We would all be of one soul, and we would all be of one body. And we could, we could build whatever we wanted to. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, To whom 
coming as unto a living stone, disavowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. That's speaking about Christ. You also as lively stones are built up in a, as a up a spiritual house an holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ wherefore also it it is contained in the scripture behold I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded you know I don't know about you but I really have a hard time thinking of myself as a lively stone or a pillar of the church like I should. You know, I, I, you always think as a young man, you know, when you're in high school, you think, okay, well, you know, the guys ahead of me, the older guys, they're running the church, they're doing this, the church is in good hands. And as you travel through life, it's very hard for me to make that transition to the fact I'm 46 years old, fixing to be 47 years old, and if I don't step up and do something, who's going to? And, you know, that, that's, it's hard for me to get in that mindset, but we all have to get into the mindset that the Bible says right here, that we are lively stones. We are built upon the foundation of Christ, the chief cornerstone, the chief builder and founder of our belief system, the, the chief, chief founder of the world. And we are those stones. And, you know, if you've ever, ever studied anything, a lot of that the ancient people did, there were buildings that are so precise and they are cut so precise that when they fit together, they didn't use mortars and they mortar to hold the blocks together. They were so smooth that friction, gravity, and all the other laws of physics that I don't know hold it together. And it stood for thousands of years. That's the kind of stones that we need to be. We need to be sharpened and honed together, stuck together by the glue of Jesus Christ. You need to consider yourself the stone. I need to consider myself the stone. And we need to build upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. You know, as he goes there, he's talking about uh, having faith in the gospel. But he also talks about being of one mind and striving together. You know, that is, not a con that is not a concept that we humans like. And especially, I think, being an American, that's a concept I don't like. I don't need to strive with anybody because I can do it myself. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. You don't owe me anything. I don't owe you anything. But that is contrary to what God's talking about. He tells us we need to be lively, lively stones, but he says we need to strive together. Strive means to fight, and that's not always a bad thing. We need to strive to fight together to hold truth together. We need to strive together when someone is struggling, right? We need to struggle together with them. He says be of one mind, and don't be terrified. You know, you think about it. We talk about how people run together uh, to do bad things. You know, a group, of, a group of young boys together can be no good, you know, they say. Because something's going to happen. 
especially you throw in a can of gasoline, who knows what's going to happen, right? But that can also be on the other hand. If those guys together are striving to do evil, evil can be, be committed and things can be bad. But what if we're striving together as a church and as people with one mind to do what God wants us to do, to grow this church? You know, we've said it before. What if everybody in here over the course of 365 days brought one person to church with them and taught one person the gospel and that one person stayed in church? We would double the size of this church every year. We would physically not have enough money to keep building the buildings that we need to build. And I don't want, I guess I want to preface, I don't want to say that I don't want anybody to think from this lesson that I think that we don't get along or that we don't build as a congregation. That's not what I'm trying to say. This is just an, a lesson that I want, want us to look at to be better so we can always be better. But striving together of one mind, it's a hard thing for us to accomplish, but it can be accomplished if we'll just put our minds to it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3 with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I can't ever read that uh, verse number three there without thinking of Bill Hayes because every time he prays, he, he makes that, he quotes that verse. He says, endeavoring to keep the Spirit of unity and the bond of peace. You know, I've, over my life, I said, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself an old man. I guess I'm halfway there, maybe halfway dead is the way you want to look at it. I don't know. But peace. Peace means different things to all of us. To Jackson, to, to Mitch, to Jacob, peace means something a little bit different than it means to me. They're in the prime of their life. They're out there providing for their family. They've got big ambitions. You know, they're going to conquer the world. They're going to be, and that's not a bad thing. That's, that's not a put, that's not at all. But you're out to conquer, man. I'm going I'm to have this for my family. I'm going to do this for the church, and I'm going to do all this. You know, I'm at 46. I've been kicked in the face a little bit by life, and I could care less what I own anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. I like to have nice things. But, but what I'm saying is I could care less about having a quarter section of land for every one of my children because I tried that and it failed. Things like that. But you know what? Peace is precious. I'm sorry. Peace is precious when your family loves you. And you have that peace, and your kids want to come see you. We need to have that kind of peace and unity in this building right here. We need to strive, fight for whatever it takes. Because if these people right here don't love us, or we don't love them, and we don't stand behind them, we have nothing here on this earth. That's why God built the church the way that he did so that we would all have family and have strive together and have peace. And we've got to have that. But we've got to fight for it sometime. It don't always come easy. We all have families a lot. We know. We know that strife and peace, or excuse me, <laughs> peace 
does not always come as easy as we would like for it to. And we have to fight for it. And the same is here. We have to stand united and be powerful together. The second point that I want to look at that we can take away from Babel is humans have the need to grow and be remembered. But we have to be careful that we build the right things for the right reasons. You know, there wasn't anything wrong with with the people of Babel building structures. That wasn't the problem. The problem was what they were building and why they were building it, they were putting themselves, their thoughts, their beliefs, their ideas and power above God and not letting him have the power. And you know, that's us. We're, as humans, we have a desire to build. We have a desire to be remembered. That's, you know, we, we have people that talk about, you know, the things they do, you know, they will be remembered in history or you won't be remembered in history because you weren't a great warrior or all these things. We've, we've all seen the different quotes. But, you know, we as Christians, it's not a bad thing. We as members of the church, it's not a bad thing for us to have a desire to build and to grow things. We just have to make sure that it's the right thing for the right reason. And that right thing is growing the church and growing our families and growing our strength in Jesus. But it's also doing it for the right reason. You know, it doesn't do any good uh, for me to do things to be seen of other people. I need to do things because it glorifies God. We all need to do things together and build up each other for the right reasons and make sure that we don't get skewed in our thoughts. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 14, or excuse me, Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and by the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly jointed together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. You know, we need to be a body, and we're referred to as a body, the body of Christ. And we need to be fitly joined together. Just like I talked about a while ago with those stones that were fit together and they didn't need mortar and uh, basically airtight and they stayed together. That's the way we need to be. We need to have bonds together that are so tight that we are fitly joined together, completely joined together. You know, the Bible tells us to weep with those that weep, to rejoice with those that rejoice. That's being fitly joined together. We need to love those that are sitting on the pew with us. You know, that's, that's what when they asked Jesus, I can't remember the verse to quote it, but you know, they said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love thy, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. He said, the second unto it is, love your neighbor as yourself. If we can't have love for the people that are sitting right here in this room, and we can't have unity, how are we going to love God, the person we haven't seen? How are we going to love Jesus, whom we haven't seen? That's exactly what the Bible tells us. It said, if you can't love your brother, how are you going to love God, whom you haven't seen? Fitly joined together. 
as a body. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members that one body, bearing many are one bo- being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether be, we be bond or free, and, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. For if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where's the hearing? If the whole were a hearing, where's the smelling? But now hath God seen the members set, the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? You know, that's a lot of ifs and this and the bodies and this and all the different things. But the fact is, what we're getting at right there, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're five years old sitting on this pew, or if you're 85 years old, you are a part of this body, and you're important. You know, a lot of people tend to think, well, you know, I'm not an elder. Maybe you don't teach. Maybe you don't lead songs. Maybe you don't lead public prayers. All these things, you know, well, I don't do this, so, you know, I don't know that I can be an effective member. Well, I'm not good at the five-part study. Or I'm not. You, you, the, the things go on and on that we can set up here and talk about. But you are important. You know, you don't think much. Nobody ever has looked at my hand, right there, that thumb. Nobody has ever told me, man, Callan, that is one beautiful thumb. Nobody's ever praised my thumb. Nobody's ever said, man, that is just awesome. I wish I had one just like it. But you know, if I cut that thing off tomorrow, I'll realize just how precious it is. And you know what? Every person in this building is precious no matter whether you think it or not. But you try to get by without that member. In somebody's life, it is going to leave a massive impact, whether you know it or not. You know, we talk about over and over, you never know who's watching you, and that is so true. I don't care, again, if you're 5 years old, if you're 10 years old, if you know, whatever. There's somebody that's looking up to you. There's somebody that's watching you, that's sitting on the pew with you or maybe across the room. But the whole body is, to, is, is important. And like I said, when we lose one member that, we, that may feel insignificant, we all feel it. And we've all been there. Everyone is important. And we have to have everybody if we're going to grow and if we're going to build. The next point that I want us to take away is without God, we are nothing. And if we don't work together, we will fail. You know, the guys that were building the Tower of Babel, Nimrod, all them guys, man, they were proud of themselves. And rightly so, because they were building something that had never been built on the earth before, a great monument. But the problem was, as soon as God left them, what happened? As soon as God confounded their language and they didn't have the blessing of God to have the great thing of one language altogether, what happened? They crumbled and they fell. Their tower didn't get finished. Their city was, dis- was, was done away with and they were dispersed to the winds. And why was that? 
because they failed to remember God. They put themselves in the place of God and they lifted themselves above God. And without, we just always have to remember. And I mean, again, it goes back to, as, we, as, I, as I look at my life many times, you know, I, well, you know, I can do this myself. No, I can't. How many times do I have to fail to realize that I cannot do it alone, but that I have to have God's help? Psalms chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? I want you to think about that conversation right there that the psalmist has. He says, when I consider the greatness of heaven, the awesomeness of space, how deep, vast, and so many neat things that are that we see comets falling stars the way the sun operates the way that we move around the sun and it changes and the earth is exactly right and if it's just a little bit off we're all going to die and if it's a little bit the other way you know i mean it's the the precision in which god's creation works and you know what he says there what is man that thou art mindful of him there's not a one of us here that's ever created anything that god didn't think about first there's nothing in this room that we can think, create, or do that compares to the majesty of God. And the psalmist says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? God was so mindful of us, he sent his son to die outside the city gates of Jerusalem for our sins, for a weak and puny human that can't hardly get things right. So about the time we think that we're something, we need to remember. I've never created a solar system. I've never created life. I've never spoke anything into existence. But God did. And without him, I am nothing. Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if thou bite and devour one another, take heed that, it, that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. You know, I go back to us working together, or we're going to fail. You know, Sean, in, in, our, in his meeting, he stood up here, and he talked about all the churches that no longer existed that were in our brotherhood. You know, Plainview's one generation away from that if we all quit working. We're one step away from this awesome crowd not being here. If we forget God and we begin to rely on ourselves, we will fail. The Bible talks about, in these verses, biting and devouring one another. You know, if we don't love each other, if we don't care for each other, it's really easy for my feelings to get hurt and me to be offended and me talk about how sorry brother so-and-so is because he did this and he did that and I can't believe how he did that. And man, he's in, in the guy's sitting right beside Oh, I agree, he did this to me. Oh man, he's a horrible person. What are we doing, people? I want to run an example, and this is not my example. I read it in a book. Shocking, yes, I know that I read. But I read it in a book. It says a husband and wife, the Bible says, become one flesh, right? 
So me and Emily are one person. If I begin to talk ugly, say ugly things about Emily and, and all the things I dislike and the things that I hate about my wife and all that, who am I actually saying those things about? I'm not saying them about her. I'm saying them about myself. I'm devouring myself because we are one, right? We'll all agree to that. Well, we as a congregation are one body. We may be many members, but we are one body. And if we bite and devour each other, and we talk about brother and sister so-and-so that we can't stand because they did this to me and I'm not willing to forbear, you're eating yourself alive. You're not hurting them, you're hurting the entire body. You're hurting the entire body. We can't bite and devour one another or we will not be here, we will not stand. We will crater and this building will be leased out, torn down, whatever, and it will be lost to the sands of time. Because we couldn't forbear, because we couldn't love, because we couldn't keep our mouths shut, because somebody hurt our poor little feelings that are on our shirt sleeve. And I'm as guilty as anybody. That's why it's so convicting. It's very easy for me to be upset. It's very easy for my feelings to be hurt just like it is yours. But it's a danger. And it's a church killer. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If there, be for, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem one better than themselves. Let not every man, look not every man to his own things, but every man also to the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Be like-minded, brothers and sisters. And that don't mean that we have to have the same opinions and we have to agree, agree on everything. There's nothing wrong with healthy disagreement in a church over this, over that, and whether it's to raise kids or, or what you drive or where you live. You know, that's all opinions, man. We all have one. But we can't fall into this culture that we live in of you don't agree with me, you don't like a Ford, you don't like a Chevrolet, so I hate you and I hope you die. And that is not an exaggeration. That is in our society. People wishing people to die because they don't agree with them. We can disagree. But we can disagree in love and we can pat each other on the back and we can hug each other's neck and say, Brother, I love you. I don't agree with that. I'd rather drive a Chevrolet, but that's okay. And that's the point. Be like-minded. Strive together. Love each other. You know, he, he says, don't, don't do anything for vainglory. You know, and that's one thing we have to make sure that we do. The things that we do are not to be seen of men. Don't be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees like the Bible talks about and Jesus talked about in an example. He stood there and he looked around and he said, Well, Lord, I'm this great person and I sure am glad I'm not like this guy over here, this sorry publican. And what did the Bible say about the publican? He looked and he smote on his own chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of those men do you think went down to his house justified? It wasn't the great religious leader. 
It was the one that everybody thought was a heathen but had enough humility to stand before his God and say, be merciful to me because I can't get it right. Don't do anything to be seen of men. Don't do it for vainglory. Do it for God's glory. For the love of God to strengthen the kingdom, to push Jesus forward and to glorify him. If I think I am nothing, there's room for Christ. But if I think I am complete, Christ is left alone. We are nothing without God. He has to be there with us. And the last thing I want to look at that we can take away from Babel is if we are not united just like they were because they couldn't get a, couldn't talk to each other they couldn't have the same interaction together they were scattered abroad and that's what exactly what will happen to us Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27 therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them I will liken them unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded on a rock and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell for great was the fall of it. If we are not united and we do not build that foundation here in this congregation and in our families and our lives upon Christ, we won't be that house founded on the rock that withstood the, the winds and the storms of life. We'll be the house that was built on the sand. Then the first sign of trouble, our foundation will wash out and our walls will fall and it will crumble and we'll die. Because we're not founded upon God. Because we're not believing in God, we're not following God. We're scattered. And we have to be stuck together, strong and united. If we're going to survive this world, you know the world's hard enough as it is. Being a Christian and having support of your family, support of your loved ones, support of your church... You know, how many times have we gone to a funeral and we've seen grief and we've seen people upset and we've been upset and we've lost people and we hear the thing saying, I do not understand how people do it without Christ. That's such a true statement. How precious that is that we have that. But if we don't stand together, we don't stand with Christ, we will be broken. And we will be scattered. Life will break us. Make no mistake about that. It will try to break you as a Christian. Imagine doing it without God. That's a place none of us want to be. Because it will break us. And it will grind us to powder. And there will be nothing we can do about it. But there, we serve a God that will walk us through that. And we will not fail. We will not be ground to powder. And we will not be broken. Because we have friends and family and loved ones in the church and we have this creator of the world standing behind us. And that's a pretty big foot when you think about it. That's a pretty big foot behind you, as my dad always said. It's a pretty big foot behind you to protect you and keep you going. Luke chapter 1, verse 49 through 53. And I, I just put this in here for, for what Mary says about the proud, but I think it's a very awesome 
statement that Mary taught, and, and it's, it's Mary's song or Mary's prayer, if you wanna, however you want to label it with a title, but it's after uh, the, the angels come to her and said, Hail Mary, for blessed art thou among women, because she's going to have Jesus. She's, she's the uh, mother of the Savior. It says, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. I thought that was a very beautiful way to put it. You know, she's just talking about the great God that has done great things for her and holy is his name talks about his mercy being from generation to generation you think about that if this earth is is which i believe it is not if the earth is six to eight to twelve thousand years however you want to reckon the time god has been faithful for generation to generation he's the same yesterday as he is today but he also puts down the proud and unfortunately, that's where a, a category that I find myself in a lot of times. And if we're probably all being honest, we've all been there a lot. He's going to put down the proud. He doesn't want proud people. You know, what did he tell the disciples when they said, well, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child. He said, you want to be great in the kingdom of, of God? Be like this little child. Love, forgive, care. He said, you want, to be, you want to be first in the kingdom of God? Be a servant, be last. He said, put others above yourself. So if you take nothing else from this lesson today, put everybody in this congregation above yourself, and we'll be all right. If we'll put everybody above ourselves, their wants and their needs, we'll be just fine. That's all I have to say this morning. Like I said, I hope the things, it was my prayer also that as David prayed this morning that I would deliver things to you that, that you would be edified for, that you could say that it was a good day for you to be at church, and I hope that's the case. We don't know the hearts and minds of ever, anyone in the audience. I know I haven't talked on the first principles of baptism, but if there's someone here that has been taught that would like to be baptized for the remission of sins and, and be added unto Christ's kingdom, don't delay that. We're not promised that I'm going to be able to walk down off this stage and go sit down at my pew before my number's up. Don't put it off. We got time. The roast ain't going to burn. We have time. If there's somebody here that feels that they're separated from God, it's the same thing. Don't walk out that door before you get your life right. Peace is what God gives us. If you are struggling, if you are whatever's going on in your life if you need the prayers of the church we're here to help you if there's one of either class come as we stand and sing